what we don't realize is we waste more time in the day than you realize. Yes. My entire day is mapped out because I'm just an efficient person. If yes. I'm in the car, I'm doing a conference call yes. or I'm listening to a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every single one of you who come back every single week to listen and learn. And I know that you're dedicated to expanding your mind, to being a change maker in your life and the lives of others. And I know that you want to get behind causes, missions, and values that can help you find your purpose. And you know that it's my promise to you to try and find guests that I can learn from every single week, ask questions that I'm burning to ask, and I know you're thinking about and guests that really represent all of these things that we so need in the world. Today's guest is not going to disappoint at all. She's absolutely phenomenal. She's been using her platform for years as an activist to stand up for things she believes in, to make people's lives easier. And let me tell you exactly who she is. Give me a few moments. So here we go. She's a Golden Globe nominated and SAG award-winning actress, producer, director, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and known for her work on Desperate Health Wives. Eva Longoria is the producer of the highest rated summertime drama series to debut in four years, Grand Hotel. As an activist and philanthropist, Eva Longoria continuously uses her star power to shine her light on important close, uh, causes close to her heart, creating opportunities for women and people of color through education and entrepreneurship, which I know is so important to so many of us. So here's something she said during an interview that I loved. She said, I don't speak for the Latino community. I speak with and speak from that community. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that, Eva. Eva, it's a joy to have you here. And we've just connected recently. <laughs> was that okay? I was sweating as you were reading it because mm -hmm. it's so, I don't know. It's so funny to hear your, your life. <laughs> this is, is your life. <laughs> it is when you're humble and beautiful and amazing and, and doing so much wonder uh, with it. Thanks. And, and it's all true. Mm -hmm. and, and I like doing those introductions for my audience <laughs> because I think sometimes we see such a small snapshot of people. Mm, of who they, right? who you think they are. Of who we think they are. The we illusion. See, I call it the illusion. Ah, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You see a three minute interview with someone. Yeah. You see them on a billboard. Yeah. On a red carpet. On a red carpet. And yeah. then you don't see the full picture. And yeah. I think this is what this is about. I always this say that. I'm like, they go, oh my God, so great to meet you. I'm like, well, this is the illusion of me. You're like <laughs> the uh, no makeup and the no seven people behind the camera who took four hours to get me out the door. That's the... <laughs> <laughs> well, you share that a lot on social media. <laughs> I, I do. see that. We see I that. I do. I do. I pull the curtain back so people know sometimes that's not attainable. Like, because do you have eight people at home pulling what you're going to wear and deciding, you know, what you're going to do with your hair and makeup? And, I do. I do. Yeah, no. <laughs> I know. You have, yeah. Just so you guys know, Jay has a whole team behind this camera of hair and makeup. <laughs> no, I don't. I definitely don't. I'm the worst. I've never put on makeup for any podcast or anything. I'm like, but anyway. But you uh, don't have to. Look how handsome you are. Well, you're very kind, but <laughs> I, I could do with a bit of it. But no, I, I'm so grateful to have you here. Honestly, I'm so, so grateful. I was so happy when we connected. I've been a huge fan, admirer, and no, I was, completely blown away. I've by been the admiring you. I was telling I was telling someone, I was like, oh, yeah, I know Jay. And then I go, oh, my God, no, I don't. <laughs> Until we met. And I was like, I, I feel like I know you. Yeah. Well, you were just telling me, and I, and I want to ask you a ton of questions today, okay, because I great. feel like the, the beautiful thing about you is you can speak about talent and art. You can speak about parenting. You speak about life. You can speak about activism. Like you've really are living such a whole life. Trying. And I know, but it's, <laughs> it's beautiful for me to observe. And I want to learn from you today. And Thanks. my first question is just about, you were just telling me now that you've been listening to a lot of podcasts yeah. and a lot of them have been around parenting, especially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, what have you learned about yourself uh, through Santiago? Through oh parenting? gosh. Um, and I'm saying his name right. Santiago. Yeah. yeah. Santi. Yeah. Yeah. Santi. Yeah. Santi. Yeah. Um, you do learn a lot about yourself when you have a child. Well, he's just starting to get to the responsive age. So like what people don't realize, sometimes you see, you know, parents disciplining their kids so early and you're like, no, they don't have reason yet. They don't have um, judgment yet. So like that's all going to waste and, and you want them to explore. You want them to fall down. You want them to touch things that they're not supposed to. You want them to learn. Um, I didn't realize, I think what I learned, two things I learned was 
what a disciplinarian I am just in the sense of like, you know, okay, you're going to go to bed at this time and this is what he's going to eat. And this is like, and my husband's like the fun time guy. And I always thought like, I'd be the fun time person. I just like, you know, his, have him having structure, uh, and then him having freedom within that structure. Um, but like bedtimes and nap times, I'm really like on top of it. Um, and the other thing that surprised me was kind of like what you were talking about, which was my activism, my political activism or my um, philanthropy got so much more intense. And mm-hmm. and that like, like things hurt me in a deeper way now. Like I, I just go, oh my God, I got to leave the world a better place. Even to do my tiny, tiny, tiny part, the anxiety um, that I have about that and the stakes for me are so much higher now. Mm. Like that's really like, I was like, oh, there's nothing surprising about motherhood. Like if you read all the books and information that's out there, it's out there. But like when, when it comes to like, oh gosh, wow, that surprised me of, of just how intense my work is getting now. Mm. That's beautiful. I love, <sighs> I love that though. Just that the fact that you recognize yeah. we all become so much more yeah. mindful and aware oh, and aware that our actions mm-hmm. matter and mm-hmm. the world, the way we leave it is going to matter for yeah. so yeah. many other generations. Yeah. That's a beautiful lesson. You know, the biggest lesson I think I've yeah. learned so far from, from many podcasts, it was mostly from how to raise a good human. Um, and I forget her name, but, uh, she always says, you got to, which can be applied to everybody in your life. But she was talking about how to raise a child was meet them where they're at. Mm. Right. Like people, well, kids are at this point. So you got to meet them where they are. You can't expect them to know more, be more, um, say more if they're not ready. They're not ready. They got to learn that. They got to evolve. They're little, not only kinesthetically, but like mentally, emotionally, you know, physically, all of that. And I realized, oh my gosh, that's what people, like if you meet an asshole, you're like, oh, okay, he's not where I'm at right now. So um, I'm going to have to figure out where he's at so we can communicate. Or if you meet a wonderful person, you can elevate yourself to meet them where they're at. And like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, it was like, that was a mind blowing thing I learned with um, the parenting, the parenting uh, podcast. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I just want to point out how amazing Eva is right now because she's been talking a lot <laughs> and she's had to do voiceovers. She had an amazing movie out. Like, Press junkets. I know. Yeah. That's why I have this sexy voice, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you didn't already, but but she's doing this even when she's got a strange voice. So we have to love her even more for that. Uh, tell, tell us about this. You know, you, you've said before that you literally were the black sheep of your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you look at where your life is. <laughs> tell us about like, a, did you ever see it happening? B, like what it felt like to start that way? Because I think so many listeners today may feel like the yeah. black sheep of their family. Right, right. No, I really was. I've asked my parents many a times if I was adopted because I look like no one. I sound like no one. I don't even have the same illnesses that they, like they all have this, I don't. Or I have this and they don't. Or like, mm-hmm. I was like, mom, you can tell me now. I'm an adult. Uh, but no, it turns out I am my my parents' child. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I was raised, you know, as the black sheep, literally the black sheep, because my sisters were blonde and very light skinned when they were born and like hazel eyes. They all have very, very, very light eyes. And when I was born, I was born with a full head of black hair. My eyes are nearly black um, and dark skin. I mean, they call me La Prieta Fea, which means ugly dark one oh in Spanish. God. Yeah. Wow. And um, as people are like, who called you that? I go, my mom. Like, <laughs> My family, (laughs) La Prieta Fea. And I, that was, I mean, that was my entire life. People would walk up to my mom and go, your daughters are so beautiful. And who's this? And I'd be like, I'm the the baby. Um, And, you know, my mom, I mean, I was spoiled with love. I mean, they loved me um, amazingly. So it's not like I I did without, but it was amazing how um, people defined, I guess, beauty was, you know, this like, especially in, in any people of color community, the colorism, right? Like the lighter you are, um, the, the more opportunity you have for white passing, white privilege situations. And so, um, I feel like because I wasn't quote unquote pretty, like my sisters, I developed a sense of humor 
And so I dealt with everything with like a sense of humor since I was six, you know, and, and kind of carried that with me throughout life. Cause I didn't blossom until college. Like it wasn't until college that I actually like, oh, people are noticing me. And oh, it was literally like a summer and I had my face changed, my, my hair changed. It was funny. I mean, yeah. And do you think humor was a healing or a defense mechanism? Like both. Okay. I think, I think it originally started out as a defense mechanism. Like I'm going to criticize myself before you do. Mm. Uh, and then laughter was so healing and to hear people laugh was healing to my heart. And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the clown then. And then I made a career of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no, but I love that because I I think it's so important to transition our defense mechanisms into healing. Uh Because uh sometimes, as you know, the defense mechanism can just become this way of processing it in the moment. But then you walk home with all of that baggage and it feels really heavy. Whereas when you're healing, it's almost like, oh, actually, I realized that there are multiple ways that people can appreciate you and recognize you and you can serve and you can be significant. Yeah. And I think once, like, once I I became famous, I guess, is... um, I, I became famous late. Like I was 30 years old when, and when I became a household name mm. and I already knew who I was by then. Yes. So I had a really strong center of, of who I was and I didn't let anybody dictate it, whether it was the tabloids or people or, you know, today it would be comments, but back then they didn't have, we didn't have Instagram. <laughs> so that's how old I am. But, um, and so, um, that helped me and I never defined my life by beauty up until that point, it was up, not up until that point until I got people's most beautiful and most beautiful list this and sexy that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I just thought it was cool. I didn't go, oh, that's who I am now. Mm. And, um, you know, I think that made a big difference was that I was a little older when all those things started happening or when people actually tried to identify you only as beautiful. Mm. So now they go, well, you're obviously not smart or hardworking or anything else because you're beautiful. Yes. And you're like, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. you can, you can be many things. Yeah. And they're like, you can be only one thing. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I think that's amazing because what you're saying is because you'd had time to construct your identity as to who you truly were. Mm-hmm. Then when people started to make your identity singular, yeah. you were able to actually look at that and be like, no, actually I already know who I am. Yeah. And this is a part of it. Yeah. But this isn't all of it. Yeah. 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 You said it so much more eloquent than I No, did. not at all. No. <laughs> you made a beautiful point. I think it's amazing. I, I think that there's so much to be said for that because mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like we know that like until we decide how we feel about ourselves, everyone else's feelings are just yeah. going to take over. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you, yeah, go on. No, you were no, gonna you say go. Beautiful. No, 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 you, no, I wasn't. No, no. <laughs> I really wasn't. Nothing, nothing that beautiful. But I, no, I was going to say, I'm kind of going through that mm-hmm. again right now of finding my identity. Cause wow. I feel like that can change. You can evolve. Like I'm not who I was when I was 30. And now that I'm you know, directing and producing more and I'm behind the camera, um, even conveying that to my teams, whether it's my agent or my publicist or my manager or my, the people that actually have to make my dreams come true or who, who help me facilitate my dream. Like I found myself lately being inarticulate about it. And so that's one thing I meditate on is clarity. Uh-huh. Like I go, okay, I need clarity because usually I've, my whole life I've been, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is the path I'm walking. Here we go. And now I'm like, oh, Okay. And being a mom changes that too. Like it totally, you have a different compass, like you're handed a whole new compass <laughs> and it's like, here's North. This is North now. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay. It's not me. <laughs> God. Yeah. I can imagine. But I, I'm so glad you shared that. Thank you for sharing that with us because I think it's so important for all of us to realize that mm-hmm. that evolution doesn't stop yeah. and that we have to go through it again. Mm-hmm. But the fact is you've been through it before. So you have the familiarity to bring in. Right. And like you said, there's going to be new challenges. Yeah. But the first one you ever went to, I feel, and this is more one that I've seen is, you know, at one point you were going to become a physical therapist. Yeah. Or an, and then, and then yeah. where did acting come from? So tell us about like almost oh that God. first kind of <laughs> This is another funny story Go because, because I was in college. I was in my last year of college and I didn't have enough money to finish my senior year. So I was going to have to drop out. And my girlfriend was like, you should join the scholarship pageant. It wasn't a beauty pageant. <laughs> it was a scholarship pageant. And I was like, oh, okay, what, what is that? Yeah, and what is that? what is that? And it's basically a beauty pageant. Okay. But you win a scholarship. And, and like first place was like scholarship, books, tuition, boarding, meal. It was like the whole shebang. Second place was like a little, a third place was a little. 
fifth place was books and, and something else. And I said, oh my God, if I could just get fifth place, I think I can figure out how to pay for the rest. And so I entered the pageant. I remember calling my mom and I said, mom, I need a dress because I'm going to be in this pageant. She goes, oh, honey, is that a good idea? Because <laughs> she didn't think I was pretty enough. Oh my God. She really was yeah. like, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. You're going to be hurt. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it because of that. And because I was not doing it for that, I uh, I, I didn't really take it personally. I wasn't going to take it personally. And uh, I was like, mom, I'm just hoping to get fifth place, hopefully fourth, right? And I was doing like the statistics, like if I could just, you know, there's 20 of us here. I just have to do better than 50 people. <laughs> anyway, uh, turns out I win the whole thing. I did. I won the whole thing. My mom, my sisters didn't believe me. They were like, was anybody else in the pageant? And I was like, guys, I'm pretty now. Uh, no, uh, but it was. And so what happened was I was graduating with my kinesiology degree. And I, I'm still obsessed with exercise science and physiology and the body and, and fitness. And so I wanted to be a sports trainer. I wanted to work for like the Dallas Cowboys, or I wanted to work for like a really major team. And in the prize package was a trip to LA to go and compete in this talent competition. And I was like, oh, that'd be fun just to go to LA. I had never been really outside of Texas. And so I graduate college, I come to LA and I just go, I did this little competition and I got all these callbacks and people were interested and, and they were like, oh my God, you're great. You're amazing. And I was like, I, I don't even, what is this? Where am I? What is this? I also fell in love with LA. I remember arriving in LA and probably taking the best breath of my life. Like I went, like my world opened up outside of Texas. And not only outside of Texas, but like outside of Corpus Christi, Texas. <laughs> and I just remember going, whoa, there's other things in the world, other people. It was the first time I'd seen a Jewish person on the street. Like I was like, oh, there's a person with a hat and the, oh my gosh. And, and, um, and it was the first time I saw an Indian person. Yeah. And I was like, that's another Mexican like me. And they're like, no, that's an Indian person. And I was like, oh my God, there's other people of color. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was so eye-opening just to be in LA. And I said, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be an actor. And I remember calling my mom. I didn't even go home. I didn't even pack enough clothes. I just said, mom, I'm going to stay. And she goes, okay. Like my mom, <laughs> my parents were totally happy because I got my degree. They were like, you know what? As long as you have your degree, of course you can get a job anywhere. And I was like, yeah, I'll get a job. And, and it literally was a left turn and it was some guiding force. I really think about it now. I, I wouldn't do that today. I wouldn't get up and move my life. And I didn't know anybody. I had no money, um, no car. No, I knew nothing about an industry I wanted to be a part of. Like, mm. and I was, and I felt supported and guided by some sort of energy and presence. And I just thought, oh yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. I, it just felt completely right. And I was never one of those people who, who said, now I'll give myself three years. And if yeah. it doesn't work out, I'm going home. I never, I was like, no, this is it. So we had, it's going to take as long as it's going to take. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. How were you able to, what I, when I'm listening to you, one thing that's really coming out for me is mm -hmm. how were you able to separate the comments or judgment that you were receiving from your family, uh -huh. accept the love that you've received from them, which you said beautifully, mm -hmm. you said they always loved me and I felt that. Mm -hmm. And how were you able to see that comment and judgment as separate from that love? Because mm -hmm. I find like so many people today, one of the biggest questions I get asked is just like, Jay, my parents don't believe in me or like my friends oh. don't believe in me or they don't think it's possible for me. Yeah. And, and sometimes what that does is it blocks the love too. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like we also don't see the love. So how were you? Able, I'm just intrigued. I that, don't how know. Were you able to, yeah. And I'd love for you to think about it because I think it's yeah. fascinating because when I hear you talk about it, there's no bitterness. There's no, no resentment. There's no like, there's none I also, of that. I think I was, I have blinders on when it comes to my goals and my, like you, there's nothing you could say that deterred me from sure. my goal. And by the way, that, that's like the six-year-old Eva. That's, that's 20-year-old Eva. That's 44-year-old Eva. Like you can tell me it was a really bad idea. Like here are the risks, here's the pros, here's the cons. And I, I would still do what I want to do. Mm. So I don't know if you're born with that. Yeah. Um, so, and I didn't see their judgment as negative. Yeah. I thought they were being silly and funny and making fun of me. And that comes from love, right? Like, mm. oh, you know, there's so much 
um, lo- you only mess with the people you love the most. Like that's right. who you can really joke with. Yeah. And I, th- that's how I read it from my family was they were like, eh, you really, you're going to be in a pageant. Really? You won. Okay. Okay. And I was like, I have a picture. I have a picture to prove it. And I didn't invite any of my family yeah, yeah. to the pageant. So they kind of didn't believe that it happened because yeah. I didn't invite anybody. <laughs> they were like, brilliant. okay, I think that happened in Eva's head. Anyway, um, so they don't know till this day whether it actually happened. Well, no, you yeah. paid for college. I, I, I was in college and I had pictures. Yeah. That you remember you had to develop them back then. You had to I develop the pictures. How, how much fun are you having with Grand Hotel right now? It's fun. It's so fun. You know, we've wrapped so long ago, so I'm a little removed for it. But what what I was doing was uh, when I was directing Grand Hotel, I had, well, first we shot the pilot Grand Hotel and I was eight months pregnant and we shot in Miami and I was running around and I was like, okay, we got to do this. We got to do this. And and that was so much fun because I felt like I had two babies. I had, you know, Santi in my stomach and this pilot that we were hoping would get picked up by ABC. And then we get picked up and Santi's born and I'm directing the first one and I'm breastfeeding. Santi's seven weeks old. I'm getting three hours of sleep. And I was like, how am I going to do this? I don't even know how I'm going to do this. And I would just breastfeed him on set. I have, I have a thousand videos of me saying, and action. And he's, I'm breastfeeding. Um, so many pictures and he's just, I'm like, here we go. I mean, we're going to do it. So I view Grand Hotel as, um, you know, a parallel universe with, with Santi yeah. because it, they just happened at the same time and they were they were to get off the ground, Santi yeah. and Grand Hotel. At the same time. <laughs> and so, uh, I, yeah, I think Grand Hotel is one of the most special projects. That one and Dora, because same thing, yeah. Dora, I was shooting Dora when Santi was tiny. And so those two projects will always be so special to me because yeah. they're, they're in in encompassed in Santi. Yeah. But this, this, this seems like, like a theme in your life. Like you, you easy route. No, I, I know. You, yeah. You never do like the one thing. Like most people are like, if you're going to have a kid one year, like just have a kid. Right. Yeah. I hear that. We don't yeah. have kids yet, but yeah, I know. we hear that all the time. But like yeah. you were, you know, you said Dora. Yeah. Dora, of course. Congratulations. Thank you. It's, it's been amazing seeing everyone. So Dora, you've got Grand Hotel and you're having Santi, right? At the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. And then when you were trying to become an actress, you're also headhunting at the oh time my gosh. as well? Like yes. you're doing that and you're juggling at the yes. same time? Let me tell you where all of that comes from. And then I'll tell you the headhunting story. But yeah. like my mom raised four girls, one with special needs. My oldest sister is mentally disabled, um, worked a full-time job. She became a special education teacher, um, took care of our family, took care of her sister who, um, you know, was also, you know, both of her sisters were older. And so like, she was just a caretaker for the whole family and had dinner on the table every day at six o'clock that she made from scratch. So I always look at my mom as like, how did she do that? We went to four different schools. She was a human taxi. She dropped one up, pick one up. Da, da, da. I was in cheerleading. My sister was in band. My other sister was in flag corps. Um, Lisa's getting her therapies. And, then, and she never, I don't remember a day my mom was sick. I don't remember her getting a cold, a flu, a cough, a, a sneezed. I, she just did it and she endured and she, she didn't only like survive, she thrived. Like she was like, did it. And so I look at my life and I go, oh my God, I'm not doing enough. Like my mom did, like my mom did way more and did it happily and with a smile. And, yeah. um, so yeah, that's where I think the work ethic comes from. Um, but when I moved to Hollywood, I was like, I had my degree and I was like, I'm not going to wait tables. Not that anything's wrong with that, but I was just like, I have a degree. So I went to a temp agency to get a temp job. Cause I was like, I'm an actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm an actor. I can't really work too much. And, um, they hired me and they were like, Oh, you should work here. And I was like, Oh, what's, what's here. And they said, Oh, it's, um, you know, matchmaking. There's jobs and people and you put them together. And I was like, oh, okay. So not people and people matchmaking. Yeah, no, not no, people, yeah. people, jobs and people. <laughs> yeah. And I was good at it. I mean, I was, I, I was just like, this is like my calling. <laughs> and I was doing so well that I paid off my, my college debt, my student debt, my, I mean, my, uh, my credit card debt, my student debt. Uh, I, I got a car, I had an apartment, I got my headshots, I took acting classes. Like it really, I, I, it just, it was like a dream job for me because it, it still allowed me to pursue acting and, and financially support that dream. And I remember the first big break I got was on Young and the Restless. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got this part. And it was paying a 10th of what I was making yeah. as a headhunter. I was like, oh, I can't, 
I can't live on that. Like that I have now all of these things I have to pay for. So I continued to be a headhunter while I was young, young and the restless for three years, by the way. Wow. The whole time I was in young and the restless, I had to keep my other job because they didn't pay me enough. And I did it out of my dressing room. So I'd be on the phone and I'd be like, um, yes, I'm negotiating this salary. And then they're like, ready on set. And I'm like, okay, I have to run. I have another meeting. <laughs> and you're learning lines too at the same time. <laughs> learning lines, getting hair and makeup, doing publicity. Like it was, it was fun. I'm, you know, when you're young like that, you have all the energy in the world. And I'm still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're still I doing do. it. But now, now I get eight hours of sleep though. Like I actually budget it. Back then I could roll out of bed from the club and be like, here we go, let's go. Yeah. yeah. Now that I, cannot, if I drink I'm today. Like already. <laughs> yeah. It's like four days later, I'll recover from drinking. <laughs> oh, I love that. No, it's so true. So true. And you've reminded me of my mom too. Like when you were speaking about your mother, I, mm-hmm. I feel exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother was always there, mm-hmm. but running her own business, growing up when I was growing up, taking care of me and my sister, every sporting activity or art activity or whatever it was there. always supportive helping with homework yes my mom with, too homework yeah homework yeah. like helping with school yeah. like or just and yeah she did it so like effortlessly almost effortlessly. it felt that way well, it felt like that to, to us. us yes yeah. it wasn't yeah it wasn't but she made it feel like that she mm-hmm. never made it feel like a burden or yeah. never made it feel like it was our fault or whatever it was right. and mm-hmm. i can relate to that but you have this real ability and i i it's your superpower like you're able to mm-hmm. continuously we just talked about headhunting and acting, like making both happen at the same time. Yeah. You're talking about yeah. even then with Desperate Housewives and doing a ma- like a master's degree. Yeah, like my master's during Desperate Housewives, which I, <laughs> like, again, on, like, looking back, I'm like, not so much a good idea because <laughs> getting your master's is all encompassing in, in, in mentally. Like you have to really dive deep into um, the purpose of that. Like, why are you doing this? And, and I was... Um, I come from a family of educators. So like all my sisters went to college, my mom, my, my aunts were teachers. Like, um, so I was the last person in my family to get a master's degree. Like that's crazy. You know, like what, how many families can say that? And I knew I was very blessed with the idea that education was important and also hearing the word university, university, university in my household. So many kids today don't, I don't even hear that word in their household. So I was really lucky. Um, so it was something harping at me cause I was supposed to always get my master's and then I took a left turn and went to Hollywood. And then as, um, I was on set, uh, desperate, it was the number one show in the world. And my mom was like, right but when are you going to get your master's? Like she was like, <laughs> even then, even wow, then. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, mom, mom, we're like number one in China right now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you know what that means? She's like, mm, yeah, doesn't mean anything. Um, and so, and also what was happening, which was, as I ironic because it's still happening was this border issue, this immigration issue. And it was such a hot topic in that moment and continues to be that I wanted to dive deeper into the history of immigration of our country because mm-hmm. I hate misinformation. Mm-hmm. I don't like misinformation. It's one thing my grandma taught me. You never hate something. She's like, don't say that word. I would be like, I hate orange juice. She goes, you cannot hate <laughs> orange juice. You cannot like orange juice, but you do not that's hate beautiful. anything. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm always, that's why when I hear it, I'm like, if yeah. that's the one word, like no curse word, you can curse all you want. But when somebody goes, I hate milk or what, I hate anything. And I'm like, oh, don't say that word. Um, so anyway, I, um, I don't like the amount of misinformation in the world. So I was like, you know what? I don't even know this information. Let me go get it. And so I took one class about Chicano 101, which was, you know, Chicano is a, a politicized word in the civil rights movement the Chicano civil rights movement. Um, that really is about the Mexican-American, specifically Mexican-American journey in the United States. And so the history, because many of us didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. And so we are rooted in this country, in this, in this tierra, in this world, in this earth, in this whatever, you know, border that is put up, we're still part of this land. And so, um, understanding that history and, um, I took one class and then, uh, I took another class and then I took a third class. And finally the university was like, you know, you have to enroll eventually. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So then I, I enrolled, but like, I didn't think about it other than I just want to take more classes. I want to learn. And I was devouring it. But once you enroll, uh, there is a timeline you have to finish and you have to take these certain classes by a certain time. And then you have to do your thesis and then your thesis has to be argued. And then I was like, uh, what did I do? And I never told anybody I was doing it by the way. And it got out that I was doing it. 
Uh, and that put more pressure on me to finish. Cause I was like, even if I don't finish, at least I took more classes. And once it got out to the press and people kept talking about like, that's so great. That's so great. We are, my, our community needs you. I was like, oh, I, now I have to finish. Wow. Um, and so that's why I, I got my master's and then ended up writing my thesis, which, uh, was, is the basis of my foundation, which is my life's work. And so I remember I had a great mentor at the time, um, Henry Cisneros and, um, there's 20 people like in your cohort, in your class and 19 of them were doing immigration theses, like wow. from different points of view, the different entry points, you know, everything, anything you can think of. Um, and I was like, yeah, I want to do my thesis on immigration. And, and my mentor goes, but is that going to be your life's work? Like what is going to be your life's work? Your thesis and your master's is diving deep into one thing and things can branch off of that. Like, oh, because, you know, social issues are all connected. Um, but he's like, but what are you going to be an expert at? And I said, oh, I don't, well, I really am interested in education because my family comes from educators and I'm, I want to help more Latinos um, attain higher education, even finish high school, right? Like finish high school and then be able to, to go further. And so he's like, that's what your thesis needs to be on. So if it's education, what about education? Who do you want to help? And I said, well, I want to help women. I know that young girls, he goes, great. And what, where do you want to help? Like he made me drill down specifically what, but how are you going to help and why are you going to help? And so, uh, I said, well, you know, I feel like there's not enough Latinas in STEM fields, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. And when we don't have a seat at the table with these industries, um, innovation doesn't service our communities. Correct. So um, I was like, okay, let me help facilitate that. So my thesis was specifically on um, Latinas in STEM fields and how um, diversity creates innovation for anything, whether you're a researcher or a teacher, whatever, you know, or a scientist or an engineer. I mean, solutions come from people's experiences. Mm -hmm. And so we need more experiences to innovate world problems, you know, to solve world problems. Yeah. What an amazing mentor. I know. Like he's, being he's able a, to just really push you there rather yeah. than just, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, like, everybody's doing immigration. Yeah, immigration. yeah. Wow. Um, and, and, and good yeah, for you. So that's, yeah. why, that's why I did that. I know I never do things easy. I know. I was but like, but it's I beautiful. Know. We need you. Like <laughs> we need the strength and the toughness. I, I think what it shows me is just what it shows me and shows so many people today. I think so many of us get lost in the excuse of like, well, I can't chase my passion if I'm doing this, or I can't do this if it's meaningful to me because I have a day job. Or I right. can't, you know, and I'm not saying that everyone should do everything, but what I am saying is that you're you're showing us yeah. through your own behavior and action and choices. Mm -hmm. That if you put your mind to it, yeah. you can do multiple things that are actually very different. Yeah. I, I right? think also what we don't realize is we waste more time in the day than you realize. Yes. Right. And so like I'm I'm sometimes on Instagram, but I really look at the screen time mm. and I give myself like this is the time Eva you can look at Instagram. Like my entire day is mapped out because I'm just an efficient person. If yes. I'm in the car, I'm doing a conference call yeah. or I'm listening to a podcast. If I'm on a plane, I'm reading a script, I'm reading a book, I'm watching a TV show that I have to watch for research. Like if I'm, um, you know, bathing Santi, I am FaceTiming with grandma because grandma's gonna, this is your time grandma with Santi. Like, it's just like, what can I do? And I remember also when I was on Desperate Housewives, I learned French and- <laughs> It was. <laughs> Come it, on. Even. I did yeah. learn. I learned French and Spanish because I didn't grow up speaking Spanish, oh. but French was my first, um, uh, my, my second language. And then my third language was, was Spanish, but, um, through these tapes. And so if I was working out, I was listening to the tapes. If I was driving, I was listening to these tapes. And then I would go to class and I would buy the books and for French. And, um, and I remember, uh, my castmate going, I can't believe you know, when we finished Housewife, she goes, you've learned two languages and got a master's degree. <laughs> she goes, <laughs> and she's like, and I just, I just endured. <laughs> <laughs> but because there was so much downtime on set, there mm -hmm. was so much, I was in my trailer for an hour and I felt like I wasn't reaching my full potential as a human being. Like I was having fun on the show. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. And I was really grateful for like, I'm on this amazing show and I'm having, and I took acting very seriously, but like there's so much downtime and off days that I was like, I got to fill this with something else. That you is know? amazing. Yeah. That is awesome. I love that. <laughs> I, I love that. Now all of us, everyone listening and watching me included, I'm like, no excuses. There's That's more, amazing. you there's waste more time. more time than you think. And yeah. I, like I said, I also scheduled my sleep. So like, 
I go to the gym at 6 a.m. So yeah. I have to be in bed by 10. And if yeah. I'm in bed by 10, that means dinner's at seven. If I have a dinner, like, and I just like schedule things like that. And by the way, there's monkey wrenches. Like, all right, this dinner went late. I'm going to be tired tomorrow. But it's not my lifestyle. You know what I mean? I get it. It's the exception of the rule. It's the exception of the rule. Yeah. Or when people go, I don't have time to work out. I was like, yeah, you yeah. actually do. You probably do. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. That <laughs> we need rules to mm-hmm. have exceptions from. Yes. Otherwise, everything's the exception. Yeah. Right? Like, otherwise, everything's yeah. all over the place and there's yeah. no rules. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Tell me about uh, how you've seen the Latino experience in Hollywood. Like, mm. for someone who's not familiar with that, what Boy. what is that like? <sighs> Um, if you want to go there. No, no, yeah, it's a big yeah, topic. Yeah. Um, there was a study that just came out yesterday um, mm-hmm. from USC, um, Stacey Smith at USC, um, talking about not only are we s- severely underrepresented in Hollywood, but the erasure of Latinos in film is creating the um, problems we're having in society. Interesting. Like it definitely is correlated. Um, you know, if you only see gangbangers, drug dealers, you know, um, criminals in TV and film, then that educates a community about who we are. It educates people who don't have a Latino in their town to go, oh, that's what they are. Mm. Um, and I think more important than that is it educates our community on who we are. Mm. And so if I'm a young Latino and only see those um, portrayals, it's damaging. And so you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. And and I think that um, there has to be conscious change to happen. So I feel like sometimes people go, well, this is an unconscious bias. Like like people just go to the, to the well they always go to, you know, white male talent. Um, you know, and so who's left out of that is women, people of color, LGBTQA. I mean, all, all of this. And so you have to understand there's different, there's different talent pools, mm. um, awaiting, uh, uh, usage. And so hopefully I think we're facing the right direction now. I don't know if we've taken a step Right. Like, like but you we at were, least feel that yeah, we're this. like, we're like this. And now we're like, oh, okay, uh, there it yeah. is. Let's go. You know? Yes. Um, and then, you know, same thing happened, you know, going back to Grand Hotel, when I was finally in a position of power to hire um, as a producer, as an executive producer and a director, um, it was our job to staff up the director slot. So we had 13 open slots. And what we did was uh, primarily hire women for women first. Let's fill the slots with women. And once we ran out of that talent pool, we said, great. Now the rest of the slots, people of color. Great. And then once those filled up, then the remaining slots were, um, your usual white male directors. And we did that purposely. And so, um, the same thing with, um, director of photography, I took these traditional, um, jobs. I took these jobs I looked at these jobs that were traditionally held by men and I asked for women. Like I was just like, you know, director of photography, cinematographer is mostly male. And I said, um, are there any women? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they sent me some female names. I ended up hiring a female director of photography, Alison Kelly. And she ends up hiring women in her department, right? So then it like trickles down. Um, Then we hired two female assistant directors and they end up hiring female PAs and that, and it just, there's a great trickle down effect. There was, um, we needed a stunt coordinator because we had a big stunt to do. And they're like, here's Tom, Dick and Harry. And I was like, right. Are there any female stunt coordinators? Like there must be female stunt coordinators. They go, oh yeah, there are. And of course they send me the names and I go, great, her, Helena. So we had a female stunt, like we really filled these non-traditional roles, um, jobs that are held by men, um, with women and, oh, it works. Right. <laughs> like, oh, and they're just as talented yeah. and they're just as creative. So it's the same with Latinos in Hollywood. So instead of unconsciously ignoring us, you should consciously hire us mm. right, in front of and behind the camera. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And, and, and I think that's amazing. I think it's so amazing to see how intentional and focused and mm-hmm. strategic you've been about representation yeah. mattering. Yeah. Because it's almost like it feels like if you don't do that, mm-hmm. then it kind of just doesn't happen. Won't. It won't. Yeah. Because it's right. like, if yes, I'm not doing if it, if you don't take it in, why would, approach, you know, John Smith do it? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I, it's, this is my community. I should yeah. be doing it. And like you said, I don't do it to be a hero. I, I do it because I don't, like you said, when you open the podcast, you have to be very careful about speaking for people. I speak mm-hmm. for women. I speak for, you know, it's like, no, no, no. I don't speak for Latinos. What I do 
is teach and inspire them to speak up for themselves. Mm. And the way we can do that in Hollywood is by hiring them, whether you're a storyteller or a grip or a lighting person or an actor or a writer, um, you tell that story, you tell your story. Mm. Um, so I'm not, you know, trying to go, listen to me, this is what we got to do. It's, it's, you know, no, go do what you want to do and you can do it. Yeah. I give you permission, Mm. right? Like sometimes people just want permission to be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Was it hard for you to transfer over from being an actor to then production and direction or, no. or have you enjoyed that and loved that? No, because I'm very bossy. <laughs> I like telling people what I to do. I can tell when this <laughs> No one saw it, but before this podcast started, I thought I was about to get scored. I was getting all sorts of direction. I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm going to sit there. You sit there. I'm yeah. going to have the better light. Um, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Literally. Um, no, it was, um, I feel like, you know, people go, oh, she's an actor turned director. I feel like I was always a director, producer turned actor, because I've been fascinated by the business side and the the assembly of a project. And also, again, I remember being on set in Desperate Housewives and going to my mark and saying my lines, and then you go home. You don't get to pick your co-star. You don't get to say, get to write the things that are coming out of your mouth. You don't get to pick the music that's going to lay over this. You don't get to pick um, what you're wearing. You don't get, like there is, actors have the least amount of control in <laughs> in the whole process of filmmaking and movie making and TV making. Um, and so I just go, I, I want to have more control of my destiny of my career and of the final product that is being put out there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I chose to get behind the camera. Cause I was yeah. like, no, no, no. I want to make the decision. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so important. No, I think it's great. I think we should celebrate that. It's awesome. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like I, I think for so much talent to continue saying the words that they haven't written and to mm-hmm. be like what you're saying, defining yeah. an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I want to define my own experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And experience of the, the viewers too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, I can relate a lot to that. I've been, I'm planning my my tour at the moment uh-huh. for me to go and visit all the cities in which I have a wonderful community and, uh-huh. and go meet everyone. And for me, it's very much about defining an experience. I was like, I don't just want to stand on a stage and, mm-hmm. and speak on any stage. It's like, I want to design an experience yeah. so that people know that they've come to a place that embodies everything that I believe in mm-hmm. and value. Well, and speaking of this podcast, like on purpose. So I remember one of the things I learned from Oprah um, I, I'm not name dropping cause I didn't meet her. I just saying from her show, <laughs> there she is, there she is. Yeah. um, was when she used to do her daily show, I was like, how do they fill up 365 days a year of mm-hmm. like, you know, booking people and booking, you know, talk uh, psychologists, whatever the, picking the, the themes and picking the, the topic of the show. And, and she said, I produce with purpose. Mm-hmm. So every show has to deliver something. Why am I producing this this particular episode? Yes. And I have carried that with me in everything that I do. Like, what is the point? And so mm-hmm. I'll get pitched things of like, oh, it's like a like Empire but Latino. And I go, <laughs> right, okay, but and then what? Yeah, uh, great. Like I've turned down so many things that I go, that's going to be, people are going to watch that. I just don't know what the point is. Like, yeah. what's the purpose and for you? Yeah, for me exactly. It might service something in your life, but it's Mm -hmm. not servicing my goals of whatever that is. Right. And so, um, producing with purpose has been the mantra of my production company. And that's probably why I produce so many documentaries is because humanizing social issues is the best way to educate somebody about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so and my agents to, to, to my agents a grin, cause they were just like documentaries, don't make movies um, don't make money. Eva document, stop making documentaries. They make no money. And I'm like, but that's not my purpose. Yeah. If that was my purpose, I wouldn't do them. Mm-hmm. But my purpose for the documentaries is a different, yeah, different point. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that's so important. That applies to everything, like not just movies or shows. It's like, yeah. you could apply that to everything in our lives. Like mm-hmm. why are we sitting down with anyone or yeah every meeting or friend we allow into our space or mm-hmm. just really reflecting going, what is the purpose of this interaction, conversation, yeah. deal, whatever it may be. Yeah, and, totally. And being able to do that. And I, yeah, anyone who's listening and watching, I highly encourage you to do that with your, with your work, with your relationships, with every area. Yeah. And if you can't answer the question, then you can look for an answer. And if you can't find the answer, yeah. then, then yeah. that is your answer. And I think, you know, like I'm doing now in my life is, is taking an emotional inventory mm. and going, okay, What's this servicing? Nothing. Out. You know? Yes. Okay. What is it? Like just doing the spring cleaning of your 
um, emotions. And so I always love that, you know, idea of like, oh, let's take an emotional inventory. My husband and I will do it together. Like, yeah. Where are we at? What are we doing? Okay, here we go. All right. Let's, this is wasting our time and not really, um, fulfilling us in any way. So out, not doing that anymore. Um, even with like, you know, silly things like, like, um, not only projects and people, um, you know, whether it's property, like we, you know, we had this house in Miami, we're like, we don't go. Why do we have that? Like, mm. and you don't realize it because sometimes there's a different part of your life that is about attainment. I'm going to, I'm going to attain as much as I can, whether it's money, whether it's houses, whether it's cars, whether blah, blah, blah. and lately my husband and I have just looked at our life and go, Whoa, <laughs> what, what is the purpose of this many things? Yeah. Okay. Let's, we got it. We don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need yeah. that. And, and I think that's, um, important to do from time to time. Yeah, I agree. Before I became a monk, I did that in a tiny way mm -hmm. because I gave away a lot of my best clothes to my friends, yeah. one of them. So I gave away all these like football jerseys or soccer jerseys yeah. that I had that I'd collected. I love soccer. So uh -huh. I had all these jerseys and I was giving them away. And then when I came back from being a monk, I was like, yeah, no, I might take that back. <laughs> I did that so recently fun. with, yeah, um, so I'd never thought I'd lose the pregnancy weight because I got so big that I just resigned myself to like, well, this is the new normal. Mm -hmm. And I gave away so many clothes. I was like, jeans, out, tight, anything tight, out, out, out. And now I did lose the weight. And I'm like, can I, can I have that dress back? <laughs> <laughs> and you can't, no, I, I don't know yeah. if your friend gave my friend. No, my parent, no. Yeah. And I'll see my friend wearing it and I go, I love that dress. And she yeah. goes, you gave it to me. And I go, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. I auctioned off this soccer ball that was signed by all the players mm. uh, of Manchester United. And I, I auctioned it off for charity before mm. I became a monk to give it away. Is that your team? Yeah, that's my team. Yeah. Is that what David played? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. I mean, like, so what's uh, the opposite of, of Manchester City? Okay. Yeah. The, yeah. We don't yeah. like them. Yeah. So, no, because did you see the prank that Gordon, James Gordon, did, did on him? And the guy's like, hey, you in Manchester yeah. City, man. And <laughs> David was, was like, no, you, you got the team wrong. He's That's like, when they ah, made, that was thing. when they made that statue of yeah. him. Yeah. Oh my God. That statue was hilarious. But the funniest thing was like, he keeps, you got to keep confusing the, the teams. Yeah. That was so bad. Yeah. Manchester City is like Manchester United's arch enemy and now they're really good. So. Oh, are they good? Yeah. They're good now. Uh, so, so. Where did Thierry Henry play? Arsenal. Yeah, Arsenal. Yes. Yeah. Thierry Henry was at Arsenal and then Barcelona. Where does Zidane play? He played, well, now he's the manager of Real Madrid mm -hmm. and he used to play at Real Madrid. He also played at Juventus. I believe he also played at Barcelona. So. He played at Juventus? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, it's funny story. This is probably, you can edit this out, but um, <laughs> to, uh, I got this in, invitation to host the, the FIFA awards in Zurich. No way. So okay. I'm reading, I'm in bed and I'm reading this and I go, F-I-F-A. Honey, they want me to host <laughs> some fi FIFA, FIFA thing. And he goes, what? And I go, the awards, I don't know. I don't know all these people. And he goes, you have to do it. Because my husband's a huge soccer fan. Yeah. He's like, you have to do, we have to do, we have to go. It's going to be so amazing. I was like, all right. So I said, yes. And I have to. I had to interview all these players. I had to interview Maradona. I had to interview uh, Ronaldo. Yeah. I had to interview all these players. And I didn't know who any of them were. Thanks. Messi. Thanks, thanks Eva. Thanks, right? Yeah, right now, Messi. I'm, I'm really in love with you right now. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then last <laughs> I can't minute. believe it. Last minute, my husband couldn't go. And I had to go by myself. I go, well, I don't want to go. Like, I didn't want to go to the thing in the first place. You're the one that made me say yes. And now you're not coming. He, last minute, he could not go. Oh, he had a business. God. So I'm there going, honey, okay, so Messi play is from Spain. And he goes, no, no, he is not from Spain. And if you say that, they're going to throw a rock at you. And yeah. I was like, but I thought you said he played in Spain. He goes, no, he plays in Spain, but he's not from Spain. They're very serious. But, and I was like, all right, so Maradona's from Spain. No, 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 no he's not from Spain. And I was like, he was getting so, he made me a PowerPoint presentation. Oh my, oh, that's good. So I could interview that's amazing. them. And I was like, oh, we so. Love that's useful. And, I, and then I was like, oh, when Ronaldo... Cristiano, what's yeah, his name? Yeah, Cristiano. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. isn't there two of them? Ronaldinho? There's the, yeah, there's, Ronaldinho. The, there's the Brazilian Ronaldo. Okay. And there's Ronaldinho. Okay. And then so there's Cristiano I was like, Ronaldo. Oh, God. So I was like, Cristiano's from Brazil, right? And he goes, no. And I go, he speaks Portuguese. And he goes, hey, he's from Portugal. <laughs> Portugal. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. It's too confusing. Too uh, confusing. Anyway, well, yeah, I ended up doing it, but not, cool. not happy about very it. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Not happy about it. Not, not you would have loved it. Not jealous at all. Yeah. You would have loved it. No, I love that. Yes. Do you want us to keep that in? <laughs> I loved it. It was great. It was great. But but no, but uh, where were we? Like, Nobody were cares. We? Uh, Nobody. Yeah, no, that's... No, it, I think I think the awesome thing is that... No, there's no lesson in that. That's there's just, no lesson no, there's in that. No lesson that's in just that. you being there a fanboy. There's no lesson in that. That was me just being just very excited that... I know. So far as you call it soccer. 
I, I do when I'm here, <laughs> just so everyone knows what I'm talking about. Because if I right. say, I can't call it real football, then everyone gets I upset. I know, so. I know. But have you been to the Los Angeles? I have. I've it's been to LA. so good. I've been to the LA Galaxy Stadium. I. What's the difference, by the way? So there's LAFC and LA Galaxy. They're the two teams in LA. Oh, they're both MLS? They're both MLS. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay. Did not know Yeah, that. yeah. They're both here. Yeah. I mean, why would I know that? <laughs> yeah, why would you know that? You don't know Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I just love the food at the LAFC. Okay. Yeah, great stadium. I was stadium. secretly hoping you were a football fan, but I guess... I'm a, I'm a football fan. Uh, oh, yeah. American football. Uh, American football, yeah. I am a huge NFL fan. Yeah, oh, I love nice. I love the NFL. Awesome. Do you not like it? I've... I've been, I'm interested in people in the NFL, like players, uh, I'm fascinated by people's, yeah. but I just didn't grow up on it. That's what it is. Yeah. I watch it, but yeah. I didn't grow I think when you grow up on something. Oh yeah. And I'm from Texas. So Texas is a football yeah. state. I think so that's what like it is. When you grow up on something, culture. it has a huge, so I, I even watched a lot of basketball growing up. So I love oh, basketball. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I absolutely love basketball, mm-hmm. but, but football, soccer is my main okay. sport. But anyway, All right. now I was going to ask you with what? Santi, what is there? I asked you earlier what you'd learned from him mm-hmm. and, and since having him, mm. what are you trying to teach and what would you like him to oh. take on? When I, what are the most important things Yeah, and I, how you're doing it? I read a book when I was pregnant. It's amazing how many, how, how this, you should write a book about this because there's not a lot of books on it. Uh, cause I was looking for it, but I, I wanted to, when I was pregnant, I wanted to know what was spiritually happening. So mm-hmm. there's so many books of like today he has fingernails this yes. week. He, his brain is developing, eat a lot of salmon this month, this is happening. And yes. I was like, what is spiritually happening in my belly? And my friend Deepak, um, yeah. Deepak gave me his book and he said, um, read this book. And it was the spirituality and miracle of pregnancy. And and it was basically that of like, even in the book, he said, you know, don't, don't watch the, anything that upsets you, even if it's fake, like a scary movie yes, or yeah. something. Cause he's like, the baby doesn't know that feeling is manufactured. You mm-hmm. just go, oh, you get scared or whatever. And, and, you know, same thing with like, try not to be stressed or anything, just how everything channels into the baby and all of that stuff. But there was literally one, it was like his book and that was it. And I said, no, there has to be more. Like, does the heart create before the mind? I mean, the Mm -hmm. brain, like physically. So that's why like we do lead with our heart. Like I wanted to know so many of those answers. Um, Anyway. uh, And so in the book, he said, you know, every night when you rub your cream on or whatever, do a mantra with Mm -hmm. what you wish for your child. And my wish for him was kindness and compassion. Like, please let him be, I mean, health, of course, like that was like a given. I was like, okay, I hope he's healthy. But the thing I want to impart most on, on him is to be, I hope he's a kind and compassionate human being, Mm, you know, and, and mindful. I think a lot of things hang off the tree of mindfulness. So, you know, sometimes you can have a a gullible, compassionate person, Mm. but if you're mindful, I feel like there's a level of compassion and intelligence to be deciphering good situations, bad situations, what takes your time, what shouldn't take your time. And so mindfulness was a big one. Yeah. Those are beautiful. I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Yeah. The, the Vedic terms and I know Deepak well as well, he's a good friend. <laughs> the, some scars that children have are all the way from conception through mm-hmm. as they get older. And so mm-hmm. the, the qualities and the values we want them to embody and meditating on those mm-hmm. and then the qualities when they come in. So I think that's beautiful. What a beautiful meditation to yeah. it. And I, and I love what you said there. It's not just about being kind and compassionate and gullible, yeah. but being focused, intentional, mindful, being able yeah. to process that. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a very big difference. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's amazing. And, and one thing I read about you, which I thought was unbelievable, which I have to say, and you're going to hate me for saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway, is Hollywood Reporter named you the philanthropist of the year, Mm -hmm. which I thought was amazing. (laughs) And that's beautiful to have come here, to have paved your own path, Mm -hmm. to have worked so hard and for this space and community and world to recognize that. Yeah. And that must've felt incredible. No, it was amazing. And at the same time, giving you an opportunity to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. use that platform to do more incredible work. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, So, so much so much. Uh, that meant a lot to me because, you know, I grew up with a special needs sister. So my oldest sister, Lisa has a mental disability. She was born at like seven months. So didn't get enough oxygen to her brain. So she has like about a third grade level for her life, like, you know, her reading, her, her comprehension. And so because of that, I was born into her world. And when we were young, um, 
we would use so many community services, whether it was um, Boys and Girls Club or Salvation Army. Um, we would always go uh, Special Olympics. There were so many organizations that helped my sister and our family that I never forgot. Like I was like, who are these people helping us? They don't even know us. And my mom would always say, charity. And I thought charity was a person. Like I was like, <laughs> you know, charity is so yeah. nice. Um, and we used to have to volunteer. That was the greatest lesson I think my mom taught us very early was volunteerism. Yeah. And so she was like, we're going to go volunteer at the soup kitchen. We're going to volunteer at the Boys and Girls Club. We're going to volunteer at Special Olympics. And I thought it was a job. Like I was like, I want to be a volunteer when I grow up. Um, and How beautiful. Yeah, it was because at my earliest childhood memories all revolve around Special Olympics um, because my sister was in it. So we had to go and volunteer because my mom was like, we're all going. Let's go get in the car. You're volunteering. Lisa's competing. And I remember my my first job was a hugger. Like there, that's a job at the Special Olympics. And wow. you hug the athletes at the end of their race, at the end of their competition. And wow. the healing of that gesture of a hug um, to a stranger um, was really something that has stuck with me. And I remember I must've been maybe five, like the fact that I remember that and I always wanted to go back and be a hugger. Um, so just that lesson of like giving back, volunteering, community uh, was ingrained in the DNA of who me and all my sisters are. So regardless of being famous, I knew that was my destiny and my role and my responsibility. And then the fact that I became famous and had this platform to talk about and shine a light and give a voice and all of that stuff was really just a natural evolution because I was doing it anyway. Yes. Um, so I was really grateful for the microphone that I ended up receiving so I could do more of what I was already doing, what my family has always been doing. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, people a lot of times want to go, no, like when, what, what got you philanthropic? I'm like, oh God, no, that's since I was a kid. Yeah. And the other thing that, uh, that I do, uh, I manifest a lot of things. Mm. And I remember moving here in 1998 and walking in Hollywood Boulevard. I wanted to live in Hollywood because when I wrote home, I wanted the address on the envelope to say Hollywood, California. Yeah. Um, not knowing Hollywood was like really ghettoy at that time. <laughs> Now it's like chic. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I was walking to Hollywood Boulevard and I was looking at all the stars on yeah. the Walk of Fame. And I said, one day I'm going to have a star here. Mm. I'm going to have a star. And I picked the spot and I said, it's going to be right here. And this empty, this is an empty one. I'm going to, it's going to be right here. And 20 years to the day I got my star on the Walk of Fame, probably five feet from where I no said way. that to and the you interview. don't get to pick. No, you don't get to pick. Yeah, you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick. They go. And it was five feet away from and that it was place. five feet that away from where I stood on the corner of La Brea and Hollywood Bar. And I was like, it's going to be right here. And mine, you know, mine's like five feet from where I said. And so that's something I, I believe in. But it's also more than that. Like, you know, people go, I'm going to be a star. Okay, well, you got to put the work in. <laughs> yeah, and we've, let's not get <laughs> the you work in. Yeah, you, you know? you've done that, yeah. Um, but just first visualizing it, saying it mm. is really the two biggest steps. Yeah. And I think for women too, you know, there's not a lot of female directors. There's not a lot of female um, females behind the camera like there should be. Um, and a lot of that is because, you know, we don't want to even say it out loud because that might be, I might be full of myself, but I should be a writer. Yeah. I should be a director. I should say it, yeah. say it, do it, give yourself permission. Um, because that's the first step. Then you, then you go into your plan of how to, how to accomplish it. But the first step is just, you know, verbalize it, verbalize it visualize it, and then say it. Yeah. Visualize, mm -hmm. verbalize. Mm -hmm. and, and and yeah, I always feel like you have to feel it and mean it when you say mm -hmm. it. Like, if yeah. you're going to believe it, you have to feel it and mean it for sure. Because yeah. that's what I think the difference is in what you're saying of like, yeah, I'm, it's going to happen for me. And like, yeah. you know, it's, whereas like, no, this is it. But, yeah. and then following it up. And I think that's what I love about manifestation is that the visualization and verbalizing, mm -hmm. but then also backing it up with mm -hmm. focused action. Right. Yeah. Focused action and, um, I always say like curate your day, right? So mm -hmm. like, does what I'm doing today lead to that goal? Yes. And there's so much you do in the day that is not leading to what you are trying to manifest. And so all of that energy is being burnt up towards something that 
you don't even want. Yeah. And that's why some people wake up in marriages that they never wanted and jobs they never wanted. They're like, what happened? Because you were putting so much energy into this thing yeah. and instead of the other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think our intention is such a strong compass as well, because yeah. if you're not doing it for a deep reason, yeah. mm -hmm. you can get there and actually feel disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're doing it for a deep reason, you'll get there and realize there's so much more to do mm -hmm. and you keep going. But otherwise, most people, if you don't have a deep intention, you may never get there. Mm -hmm. And so then you feel, you still right. keep thinking, oh, there was something there. Yeah. Or you get there and then you're disappointed. And we see that a lot where... <laughs> Yeah. People get the name and the fame and the money and the star and everything, yeah. but then you still feel like, oh, well, it, yeah. didn't, it, didn't, it didn't add up. Yeah, because right? it wasn't what your intention was. It wasn't was. driven by anything else. Mm, but I, the other thing I learned about intention, which um, was like another aha moment for me was um, your actions have to match your intentions, yes. right? So, you know, people go, oh, I didn't intend to hurt you. Yes. That wasn't my intention to hurt your feelings, but your actions did hurt me. So your actions have to match your intention. And, and I really use that as another mantra to go, well, my intention is to do this. What action do I have to do towards that? Correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Eva, you're amazing. Aww. You are awesome. Thank you for doing this with a sore throat, oh, with having okay. done so much press. You have to do Colbert tonight, you were saying. Conan. Conan, sorry. I'll take Conan. That. Let's Conan. Let's re-edit that. Let's get that right. <laughs> uh, you're doing Conan tonight as well, which is just insane. Mm. So uh, thank you for being here. We end every interview with what I call the final five. This is the final five rapid fire, quick fire round. So you can okay. only answer in one word or one sentence. One word or one sentence. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay, go. Ready? Okay, so here we go. Number one, one of your favorite moments on set. You can answer in a sentence. On set? Yeah. One of your favorite moments of all time. I know it's a hard question. Oh gosh, I've had so many great moments. Okay, hold on. Let me think. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to call the directors or the producers. I uh, know. I think, well, God, that's now that's a story. <laughs> it's definitely Desperate Housewives, the day after our premiere. Okay. In 2004. Amazing. Yeah. I remember watching it. I can't believe it. 2004. Yeah. Wow. I'll never forget Amazing. the day. Because mm. it was, the producer called and they go, we're a hit. And I go, okay. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. I did not know what change was in store for my life. Great story. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Second question. What do you love most about Santi? His soul. His soul. He has a really pure soul. Love that. Question number three. The movie you've rewatched the most. Doesn't have to be one of yours. Oh, definitely not one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a couple Casino okay. Steel Magnolias okay. Soap Dish Oh interesting Okay All I haven't seen What? Yeah I know You've never no. seen Casino? No I haven't You've given me a With great Sharon list Stone no, And I've Robert seen De Niro it. You thought we're it. leaving this room right now And going to watch okay, it Okay great And Steel Magnolias Hello Okay I have not Dolly Parton No I've not seen oh, it Lord Great Nine to five Another one Okay <laughs> I love it Okay awesome Number four Your favorite dish to cook Anything Mexican. Okay. Yeah. I love Mexican food. Yeah. I'm a big you have, cook. You have invited me over for dinner once. I know. I couldn't make it. So I know. I'm now going you to, to invite come. myself. Come. Because Mexican food is literally my favorite food. Great. We'll do, yeah. we'll do taco night. Okay, great. And the fifth and final question, which I think I, I'm going to give you more than one sentence to answer because I think you'll answer it beautifully. Mm. Uh, one thing we can all do today to make the world a better place. <gasps> the one <sighs> thing, the one, one practice, the one mantra, mm -hmm. the one habit that you think the world could adopt on a daily basis to make the world a better place. Um, God. What I'm usually saying is look around you. Mm. The biggest myth about philanthropy is that you have to be rich and famous to make a difference. Yeah. That is not true. If you look at the biggest organizations in the world, it was started by an angry mom, uh, a frustrated uh, co-worker, uh, you know, uh, uh, an injustice that happened to somebody. Like those leaders, um, were inspired to do something bigger because they experienced something. And so I always say, you know, look at your neighbor, see if they have needs, look across the street, look in your yeah. community. You don't have to cure AIDS. You don't have to solve global warming. You don't have to like, you know, sometimes the world's problems feel so big and you go, I'm not gonna make a dent. So I'm going to drink out of this plastic bottle. It's like, no, let's, why don't you just do that? Stop using plastic bottles. Yeah. Don't use plastic straws. Like there's so many tiny, tiny, tiny things um, that do make a difference. And I think that goes across everything. People feel that way about our democracy. Like my vote doesn't count. There's so many people. And it's like, no, it does. Mm -hmm. You know, me recycling, one person recycling doesn't count. It does. You know, me meditating 
for the world, praying for the world. It's not going to matter. It does. Because when you have a collective movement of any sort, it's going to, to move mountains. And so we do need your individual, um, energy and, and your individual, uh, intention and love towards anything, anything you don't have to look for and you'll find somebody or something in need. I love that. Yeah. What a beautiful message to end on. Thank you so much. Thank Eva, you. Thank you so that was so fun. Oh, is it been you, an yeah, hour? That's it. Yeah, that's it. I hope you had a lot of fun doing it. So it was so much fun. fun. Everyone who's been <laughs> watching or listening at home or whether you're walking your dog or you're cooking or you're at the gym or you're commuting, I want you to, from your heart, literally listen to this podcast again if you have to, but just find that message that stood with you. There are so many lessons that are hidden away beautifully and gracefully in, in Eva's life. And I really hope that today we've been able to unearth some of those gems and you're going to find the ones that mean something to you. And you're just going to choose one practice or one habit or one thought and just make one change in your life. That's all you have to do. Just pick one thing and let us know on Instagram which one you're going to pick too, because I want to see what you're unearthing from all of these gems in Eva's life. And Eva, thank you. You're, you're incredible. Thank I'm so excited to continue our friendship me too and i'm just so grateful to you honestly thank, thank you so you. much oh i'm so right. happy this was so fun yeah I hope this you is the it. best way to to get to know somebody quickly it is mm-hmm. it's awesome thank you so thank much thank you and everyone go check out eva across everywhere yeah. mainly instagram because she says lots of cute stuff i do that. i have child, good stories yeah exactly so go check her out on instagram <laughs> go 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 follow her on instagram for sure thank you so much eva. thank you